and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I'm your host, Fred. And today we have the second part of an episode with our good friends at the Quicksilver Radio Theater, the brilliant troupe behind such memorable works as The Tragedy of Julius Caesar, uh, Frankenstein, and uh, and their original Lincoln's Last Day. Uh, their work is characterized by taking classic works, looking at it in a really fresh way, using a superb acting, crisp effects, and a film-quality orchestral score to just really uh, make it come alive. Uh, the story today is the uh, second half of a Sherlock Holmes tale, uh, The Speckled Band. Uh, it's the first Sherlock Holmes you'll ever hear on Radio Drama Revival, and maybe the only one you'll ever hear um, on the show, and it's a diabolical and great uh, mystery. Uh, the scene was set last week with a uh, series, at least what seems to be turning into a series of strange murderers at uh, Stoke Morand out in the uh, hillsides of England with a uh, enraged doctor uh, stepfather who uh, has a dubious motivation and the daughter uh, who is quite concerned about uh, what's uh, going to happen to her after she's already lost her sister to this man. Um, Holmes and Watson are on the trail, but will they be fast enough to stop uh, the murders from continuing? That's what we'll find out today in the conclusion of The Speckled Band. Hope you enjoy. And with that, Holmes threw on his coat and rushed out the door. I well knew his habits when he was on the hunt, so his non-appearance hours later in the great sunlit cavern of Waterloo Station was no surprise. As I purchased my ticket and boarded my train, I watched the bustling crowds for him in vain. I arrived alone at Leatherhead and hired a driver. We drove for several miles through the lovely Surrey lanes. There was a cheery sun, a few fleecy clouds in the heavens. The trees were just throwing out their green shoots. The air smelled of moist earth. I felt a strange contrast between the promise of spring and the ominous quest upon which we were engaged. We neared a heavily timbered park on a gentle slope. Through the branches jutted the high grey gables of a very old mansion. Be the royal up place, sir. Ah. You said you wanted to walk to the house. Yes. You'll find it shorter over this rise if you take that footpath through ah. the fields. Thank you, driver. After a pleasant ramble, I came to the grounds of Stoke Moran. The building was of dull, mossy stone with a high central portion and two wings like the claws of a crab. On the left, the windows were blocked with wooden boards and the roof caving in. The right was more modern, and smoke from the chimney showed this was where the family lived. There was scaffolding against the end wall, but no signs of any workmen. Far off, across the bramble-covered grounds, I saw the wagons of a gypsy camp. As I had not yet met up with Holmes, I resolved to follow his instructions to the letter. The evening shadows were lengthening and there was no one in the yard, so it was an easy thing to steal along the trees up to a large open window from which I heard voices. Hidden in the large bushes, I could see most of what happened in the hall. I turned to see figures coming toward the house in the twilight. One revealed itself as the hulking, too familiar form of Grimsby Roylott. Come on, man. Surely you can open an iron gate? I'm sorry, sir. Miss Strength ain't what it once was. The other was a rough-looking man in workman's clothes. He was poorly shaven and seemed to be somewhat lame in one leg. Rogers, has Miss Enid returned? Yes, sir. Good. I'll deal with you after I've shown the new man his place. Peters, is it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, we may as well understand each other. First to last, Mm. I'm a man who stands no nonsense. 
I expect good service for good pay. Do you understand? Oh, yes, sir. I do. I want a man to keep order around the place. I've had Rogers for two years, but he's old and useless. You take over tomorrow morning. Yes, sir. Oh, it's very good of you to take on a cripple like myself, sir. Yes, it is. I've taken you on not only with a useless leg, but without proper references. Why? Because I expect I shall get better service. Where would you find a place if you lost this one? Oh, I won't forget you, sir. I'll speak to your late butler about my duties. Yes. Rogers? Ah, tea. Enid will take hers here. Set it down. Very good, sir. Rogers, hand your keys over to this man. Yes, sir. Then pack your box and leave my house. Uh, where is that girl? Well, Rogers, I'm not so sure I think so much of this place. I hope I'm not doing you out of your job. I'd chuck it off for two pins. If it wasn't you, it would be someone else. I'm used up. Here, Mr. Uh, Peters. Thank you. Be careful about the wine cellar. The first time he struck me was when I mistook Claret for Burgundy. I'd be gone tonight. But it's not so easy these days to get a place. Your papers ain't in order. Uh, see here. I need to know my way about. Where is the doctor's room? See the passage yonder? Yeah. The first room is the master's. The next is Miss Enid's. The last, the spare. The workers have been at it. Uh, shouldn't I see the master's room? All my time here, I've never put my head inside the door. No one ever goes into the master's room. No one? Never? And the door's locked. Oh, dear me. Uh, none of these oh. any use, I suppose. <sighs> yeah, all right, all right. The fewer rooms, the less work. Why does he lock it? Uh, he chooses to. That is enough. Well, Rogers, it seems this place has taken some of the spirit out of you. It, wasn't there someone died here not so long ago? I had better go collect my things. Here comes Miss Enid. Yeah. I'm Peter's, miss. The new man. Oh, I could use a hot tea. Why do you stand over me? Am I never to have one moment of privacy? I, I beg pardon, miss. Excuse me if I was short. My nerves are worn. I, I am sorry, miss. I'm new to the place and I don't know quite what to do yet. Are you Miss Enid, Stoner? Well, yes. Oh, there was a man at the station with a message for you. A message for me? Mm. Hmm. Fear nothing and stay where you are. All will be right, Holmes. Oh, a ray of sunshine in the darkness. Tell me, uh, Peters? Uh, yes, ma'am. Who was this man? Oh, just an ordinary man. He touched me on my sleeve and, and asked me to place this note in your own hand. You said nothing to the doctor? No. Oh, God bless you. If I can be any help to you, miss, you must let me know. Oh, here comes the doctor. Let me clear away these things. Oh, there you are, girl. Well, I put that fool Rogers out the back door. Now I must have a word with you. What the devil do you mean, slipping off to London the minute my back is turned? Uh, I, I went there on my own business. Your business is mine also. Who did you see? Come, girl, tell me. I am of age and have my rights. You have no claim to control me. I know exactly where you went. You went to the rooms of Mr. Sherlock Holmes on advice of that man, Watson, didn't you? I will answer no questions. If I did as you say, it was my right. What did you consult this Holmes about? Oh! Do you oh! hear? By God, I'll make you speak if I have to twist your arm off. Yes, sir. What is it? I thought you called. Get out of oh. here. Oh, beg pardon, sir. 
Let us be sensible, Enid. I was rough just now. If you do as I tell you, there need be no friction between us. What is it you want me to do? Your marriage will complicate the financial arrangement that came with your mother's death. I am an old man, accustomed to certain luxuries. If you will but sign a, a little paper renouncing your claims, it would be best for both of us. For my mother's sake and for my fiancé's, I will not. Then on your own head be it. Enid, have I not, on the whole, been kind to you this winter? You have. Then what child do you fear? Nothing. You damned little liar! Oh, you stay away from me, you coward! If Charles were here, you would not dare to treat me so. Answer my question! Very well. I fear that you killed my mother with neglect and in some way drove my sister to her death. Nonsense. We were left to your care, helpless girls. You tortured us, murdered one of us, and now would do the same to me. Uh, but if I am on the brink of the grave, I will tell you that you are a monster, fit only for the gallows. What, what rot? Get to your room. I will, and I will lock myself in till help comes. I am not without friends. What have you been plotting in London? Oh, let me go. What did you tell them? Answer me. By God, I'll knock your head off your shoulders if you dare to cross me. Take your hands off, Dr. Roylott. You infernal scoundrel! You, you had best go to your room, young lady. I'll see that you're not molested. Go! I shall. Well, I'll soon settle you. Now then, out you go! Oh, a whip, is it? Oh, this is no place for me. I won't stand by and see a lady ill-used. By God, you remember Stoke Moran! I'm afraid I must ask you to put that down. Oh, indeed, must you? Yes! This revolver asked you too. You bastard! Stand right back! I'll take no risks with a man like you. Good riddance. Well, I have a, another little game to play after I share a cup with my dear gypsy tenants. I watched Roylott's huge form amble off into the gathering dusk. It had taken all the self-control I could muster to keep from rushing into the house when the brute threatened poor Enid. I was wondering what Holmes would do in my position when... Hey, now, what's oh, all this? Wh 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 well, I... You see... The evening I, is getting a bit uh, cool, Watson. Uh, Don't you think you'd be more comfortable inside uh, rather than crouching in the shrubbery? Holmes! Yeah, please. Take your revolver back. Oh. I'll take off the accoutrement of this uncomfortable mm. character. <sighs> the old deer stalker is much more comfortable than that stiff rag of a cap. Oh, by the way, Watson... I hope you don't mind that I borrowed your old service injury along with the pistol. Of course not. But I nearly disobeyed your orders and confronted Roylott. Thank God you didn't, or the game would be over. You've probably surmised by now that I did beat Mr. Roylott to the employment agents. Yeah. They've placed me before. Remember when a certain handyman nearly mm. became engaged to the housemaid of Charles Augustus I Milverton? I do, and I have told you, Well, Holmes, I saw I a chance to look over the... will not shh, condone... Shh, shh, shh. Who's there? Oh. <laughs> is that you, Dr. Watson? Oh, and Mr. Holmes? It is, Miss Enid, as promised. Oh, thank God you are here. Ah, <laughs> oh, Miss Enid, I see you've come out of your room. Did you hear your stepfather come at me with that whip? Oh, I did. I... You were Peters, the new butler. A rough disguise, <laughs> but it served. I hope to watch over you, but the man's brutality forced me to drop my hand too soon. Oh, Mr. Holmes... 
He means to murder me. We mean for him to do nothing of the sort. He threatened us this morning at Baker Street. But here we are. Good heavens! He followed me there. Yes. Oh, he is so cunning. He will find that there is someone more cunning upon his track. Now, we must make the best use of our time. Take us at once to the rooms which we are to examine. So, this is the infamous room in which your sister slept and into which you recently moved. Yes. Oh, by the way, Mr. Peters did what little exploring he could. There does not seem to be any pressing need for repairs here. I believe that was an excuse to move me from my room. Very suggestive. Hmm. Now, that room is on our right side, and the uh, genial old gentleman's to the left. Yes. What do we have here? Homely little country room. Chest of drawers, dressing table, wicker chairs. Oh, if he should come back. Answer him. Say you've gone to bed. Yeah. Let's try a knife on these shutters. Oh, you were right, Watson. Hmm? No one could pass these if they were bolted. Oh, oh excuse me a minute while I take my lens down here. <coughs> Ancient carving. Dr. Watson, he's crawling about on the floor. Yes, he, uh, that is his way. Uh, no trap door. Here's the bed. Well, that is singular. Hmm. And this bell rope, just reaching down to the pillow there. Where does that communicate with? I, I don't know. It was only put there a couple of years ago. Your sister asked for it. Oh, no. We always used to get what we wanted for ourselves. Indeed. Just let me step out into the hall. Give it a tug, would you, Watson? Right. No ringing anywhere. No, tell me. Look, it's not even attached to a wire. Mm. See, it, it's fastened to a hook. Just above that little ventilator oh. near the ceiling there. How odd. A ventilator into another room, which could as easily been connected to the outside air. Well, that was done... About the same time as the bell rope? Yes. Most original architect. Bell pulls which ring no bell, and ventilators which do not ventilate. Oh. Now, quickly, before Roylott returns, let us examine his room. Oh, come but along, Miss Enid. <laughs> Thankfully, Mr. Peters neglected to return his set of keys. So, here is the lion's den. What do we find here? A, a bit larger than the other room. Very plain. Camp bed, small wooden shelf of books, plain wooden chair, small table. And a, a large iron safe. What's in there? My stepfather's business papers. There couldn't be a cat in it. Oh, no, what an idea. Well, what of this saucer of milk atop the safe? There is a cheetah on the ground. Yeah, well, a saucer of milk would not go very far in satisfying its wants, I dare say. Uh, One more point. Let us inspect the seat of this chair... That is settled. Hello. Here is something interesting. What do you make of this, Watson? Common enough dog leash. Why should it be looped upon itself like that? That is not quite so common, is it? This is a wicked world, and when a clever man turns his brains to crime, it is wickedest of all. Holmes, I don't think I have ever seen your face so grim. Miss Stoner, we may only have a few moments, and your life depends upon following my advice to the letter. I am in your hands. Good. When Roylott returns, we must all be back in your present room. Oh? Yes, but when he retires, you must quietly withdraw to your original room. But what will you two do? Watson and I will remain in the suspicious room... 
and find the cause of the noise that disturbed you. I believe, Mr. Holmes, that you have already found an answer. At least tell me, did my sister die from some horrid fright? No, I do not think so. There was probably a more tangible cause. He's coming! Quickly! Everyone, back into the room next door! Away from the door. Oh, steady on, Miss Holmes. Enid? What is it? Are you in bed? Yes. Have you decided to sign the agreement that I proposed? I have not. So be it. Has he gone into his room? No, he's gone toward the front of the house. Good. Now, Miss Stoner, back to your old room. Oh, I am so frightened. Goodbye, and be brave. Rest assured, we shall soon drive away the danger that threatens you. Take heart, Enid. Now, Watson, we wait. Unless I am very much mistaken, Roylott will soon return to his room. Yes. You know... I really had some reservations as to bringing you here. There is a distinct element of danger. You could not have kept me away. But you evidently have seen more in these rooms than was visible to me. I may have perceived a little more. I saw nothing remarkable, save that pointless bell rope. You saw the ventilator. Yes. But is it such an unusual thing to have a small opening between two rooms? A rat could hardly pass through it. I expected to find a ventilator before ever we came to Stoke Moran. My dear Holmes. Miss Stoner said that her sister smelled Dr. Rollart's cigar, so there must be communication between the two rooms, though only a small one or your inquest would have noticed it. Of course. But what danger can there be in it? There is a curious coincidence of dates. A ventilator is cut, a rope is hung, and a lady who sleeps in the bed... I cannot see any connection. Did you observe anything peculiar about this bed? No. It is clamped to the floor. The lady could not move her bed. It is always in the same position relative to the ventilator and the rope, which was clearly never meant for a bell pull. Holmes, I I, I think I see what you are hinting at. We are only just in time to prevent a, a subtle and horrible crime. Yes. A doctor gone wrong is the worst of criminals. He has both nerve and knowledge. This man strikes deep, Watson. But I think we may strike deeper still. <laughs> My God! Holmes, look! Out the window! Charming household. That was the baboon. <laughs> hey, quiet! Quiet! Rolot is returning to his room. Close that lantern. The least sound would be fatal to our plans. Of course. We must sit here without light. He might see it through the ventilator. But stay awake. Your life may depend on it. Mm. Well, we have been in perilous situations before. Uh, Do do you recall waiting in that uh, bank cellar to Uh, trap the red-headed league? I do. At least it is not so dank here. (laughs) Now, stay in that chair and keep your pistol ready. Yes. Here, Uh, hold this box of matches. I'll sit here on the side of the bed with this cane. I shall never forget that dreadful vigil. I could not hear a sound, not even the drawing of a breath, and yet I knew that my companion sat open-eyed in absolute darkness, just a few feet from me in the same pensive state as myself. I thought of 
Enid waiting sleeplessly in the next room. Outside, the cheetah prowled about. Far away, the parish clock boomed out the quarter hours. So slowly. Twelve struck. And one. And two. And three. And still we silently waited for what might befall. Suddenly there was a momentary gleam of light from the ventilator and the strong smell of burning oil. Someone had lit a lantern in Roylott's room. There was movement. And then all was silent once more. What was happening next door? For half an hour we sat with straining ears. Watson, do you see it? Strike a match. Who, who, who is there? Enid? Where is that cane? Ah, there, on the bell rope. Ah, it's gone. What was it? I saw nothing. Oh, 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 my no. God, what can that mean? Dr. Watson? Father? It means that it is all over. Come on, and have your pistol ready. A singular sight met our eyes in Roylott's room. On the table stood a lantern with the shutter half open, throwing a bright beam of light upon the open door of the iron safe. Fallen back upon the wooden chair was Dr. Grimsby Roylott, arms and legs askew, wearing a long grey dressing gown and red Turkish slippers. My God. Across his lap lay the short leash with a looped end. His head was wrenched back, his eyes set in a dreadful rigid stare at the open ventilator. Tightly bound round his brow was a fat, glistening yellow band with brownish spots. I took a step forward, and this strange headgear began to move. Up from his hair reared the squat, diamond-shaped head and puffed neck of a loathsome viper. A swamp adder, the deadliest snake in India. The band. Yes, the speckled band. Roylott died within seconds of being bitten. Hold its attention while I slip the leash round its neck. Be careful, Holmes. That beast's nearly a yard long. Noted. There. Let's close this creature back up in its den. What is it? What has happened? Your ordeal has ended, Miss Stoner. The curse has been lifted from this house. And poor Violet may rest in peace. Dear God, that we should all come to this. Such are the true facts surrounding the death of Dr. Grimsby Roylott of Stoke Moran. Enid was in shock. We conveyed her by morning train to the care of her good aunt at Harrow, and the slow process of another inquest came to the conclusion that the doctor met his fate while indiscreetly playing with a dangerous pet. Holmes and I travelled back to London the next day. I had originally theorized in entirely the wrong direction. The use of the word banned by Violet put me on the trail of the gypsies. Haven't I spoken before of the dangers of building without sufficient bricks? Yes, uh, more times than there are bricks in Britain, I believe. You're developing a taut sense of humor, Watson. My only defense is that I instantly reconsidered when it became clear that the killer could not have come from a window or door. My attention went to that ventilator. The dummy bell rope suggested a bridge or something to the clamped-down bed. Considering Roylott's menagerie, a snake came to mind. A fast-acting venom, undetectable by chemical test, was just what might occur to a ruthless doctor with Eastern training. And what coroner or doctor 
would expect to find tiny punctures where fangs had done their work. I certainly did not. Exactly. And Roylott had trained the servant, with the reward of the milk that we saw, uh, to return when called. By the whistle. Yes. He would send it through the ventilator at a dark hour, with the likelihood that it would slither down the rope and light upon the bed, though it might not bite the oh, occupant at first try. Oh, Violet. Who knows how many nights that loathsome visitor was in her bed before it struck. Indeed. Also, an inspection of the chair in Roylott's room showed that he had been in the habit of standing on it to reach the ventilator. Mm. This and the leash dispelled any doubt. The metallic clang was caused by Roylott hastily closing the door of his safe upon its terrible occupant. All these facts built up a picture of what to expect. I heard the creature hiss, as I have no doubt you did also. You struck a match, and I attacked it. the result of driving it back through the ventilator. Yes. No whistle required that time. Some of the blows of my cane struck home and roused its snakish temper, so that it flew upon the first person it saw. The psalmist is right once again. Hmm? The wicked is snared in the trap of his own making. Watson, hmm? you never cease to amaze me. <laughs> Our chaplain in Afghanistan was fond of chastising us with a psalm. No doubt. Well, I suppose that I am partly responsible for Dr. Grimsby Roylott's death. But I cannot say that it is likely to weigh very heavily upon my conscience. Now, Watson, I think our pallets could stand to be cleared a bit. I see it's only 4.15. I'll wager we could still get tickets to Covent Garden. La Fiorella is giving a recital, I believe. This is Craig Wickman taking off the disguise of Sherlock Holmes to thank you for bringing him out of the Victorian fog once again. Our cast, in order of appearance, John Prave, Katie Nutt, Vito LaBella, Ghislaine Nichols, who was also dialect coach, and Joseph Franchini. Music was by Mark Holman, performed by Musical Chairs, Meg Fagan Oboe, Bernadette Fiorella Soprano, Gregor Hubner Violin, Dorothy Lawson Cello, and guest artist Minda Cowan on Violin. Sound effects were by Sue Zizza and David Shin of Sue Media, and our engineers were Dominic Barbera and John Keel of Soundtrack New York. Our director was Jay Stern. I adapted and produced our story for radio from the original story, The Speckled Band, and the play, The Stoner Case, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Sherlock Holmes characters created by him appear in these and other of his stories and novels. Use of the characters in this production is by arrangement with Dame Jean Conan Doyle. Special thanks go to Chris Catanese in the Museum of Television and Radio, Christ Lutheran Church, and Bernadette Fiorella Wickman. This program is dedicated to the memory of Jeremy Brett. We hope to meet you again soon in the Quicksilver Radio Theater.
that was the end of the speckled band Devilish Holmes Mystery, dramatized by the Quicksilver Radio Theater, directed by Jay Stern. A Devilish Holmes Mystery, dramatized by the Quicksilver Radio Theater. Uh, love to send you to a Quicksilver Radio Theater website. I still don't think they have one. Uh, you can check out The Changeling by Jay Stern. Uh, I don't have the web address handy, but if you Google uh, Changeling Jay Stern, you'll find it real quick. Uh, great historical drama. If you like what you've uh, heard today, you'll uh, probably like that uh, video as well. It's kind of weird, though, if they got this audio thing and they had pictures to it, too. Moving pictures? I don't know. It's kind of weird. But uh, I did enjoy uh, the copy that I saw. Um, so de- definitely check them out. Also check out uh, Quicksilver Radio Theater and the Radio Drum Revival Archives. And uh, if you really want to bug uh, some of the producers to get uh, some more of their work, if you want to hear it, uh, you can email me, fred at radiodrumrevival.com. I'll put you in touch with them. Uh, or you can check them out on prx, prx.org. You can, uh, if you have an account there, you can... Uh, here are some of the streaming stuff. And if you're affiliated with Radio Station, you can actually license it and play it as I as uh, I have. Uh, so next week, we uh, change our focus. We get a little bit local. Uh, loco and local and loco here in Portland, Maine. Stories by the troupe. Yikes, monsters, a group of crazy guys who recite mad stories that hopefully get you thinking. Written, recorded, and produced right here in Portland, Maine. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, skits, monologues, um, stuff to make you think. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Had a f- lot of fun. Um, actually, I did the field recording for it. Um, they did the performance. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> you can't wait for more. Check out the blog and podcast, radiodramarevival.com. In addition to a handy link to subscribe to the podcast, you will find all the previous episodes, scattered bits of audio drama news, articles, and spectacular reviews as part of the Malleus series by Chris Duker. And while you're there, why not leave a comment or two? You can also find the show on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. Uh, That wraps it up for this week. Until next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.